When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. You're listening to Strange Familiars, true stories of the paranormal, cryptids, hauntings, the occult, mythology, UFOs, folklore, weird and forgotten history. Please make sure to like and subscribe to Strange Familiars on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever you are listening. Please share the Strange Familiars page and episodes on Facebook and other social media. If you have experienced something strange, or if you know a story you would like us to cover, Email strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, and of course, strangefamiliars.com.
welcome to episode 21. Hope everybody had a good holiday, and hope you got a chance to check out Strange Familiars Presents Episode 1. If you didn't, it's part of our regular podcast feed, or you can find it on our YouTube channel. So before we begin tonight, I'd like to ask for your support. If you enjoy Strange Familiars, please consider becoming a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. You can get bonus content there, including extra shows. We just posted a patron-only show, The Legend of the Hounds. We try to do about one full extra show for patrons a month if we can. And we give some other bonus audio there as well. Sometimes we'll get some extra Stonebreath songs or other downloads. There are lots of different levels. You can go in at $3 a month and just get the bonus audio. Or you can go in higher and get things like t-shirts, stickers, pins, you name it. There's lots of stuff there. If you'd like to support the show, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. If you can't, or maybe you don't want to become a patron, you don't want the monthly fee, and you can afford a one-time donation, you can email strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com, and I will get you PayPal information. I know the holidays are coming and everybody's strapped, but we could definitely use your support right now. We've been having some computer problems. We lost an entire show due to computer problems. It's looking like we're going to need a new computer pretty soon. Any kind of Patreon support, any kind of donations, all of that helps, and it helps keep Strange Familiars going. And of course, as always, I want to thank all of our current patrons. You guys are helping make the show happen. So thank you very much, and now on with the show. So tonight we're going to be talking with Dave about a number of experiences. Dave is a listener to Strange Familiars, and he contacted us after he heard us talking about Flannel Man because it was an experience he had that he really had never heard anybody else had this this same sort of entity. And at some point we might do a whole show on Flannel Man. We're having trouble lining up everybody. We did get some response to that. If you've had an experience with Flannel Man... Basically, this is some sort of entity that appears to people, usually as part of uh, sleep paralysis, or hypnagogia, hypnopompia. It's a large man, looks like a lumberjack. Some people say, say he has a beard. Dave said his was clean-shaven. Tends to be wearing a red flannel shirt and blue jeans, just a very typical kind of lumberjack-looking guy. And people are seeing this guy. If you've seen him, if you've had experience with him, contact us, because we're trying to put together a, a bunch of stories with Flannel Man. But Dave has also had experiences with Bigfoot, with ghosts, and you'll hear it's all in the interview. It's quite a lot. If you're allergic to woo, this episode probably isn't for you. But if you can keep an open mind, Dave gets into some really interesting story and has some really interesting ideas about the paranormal in general, and Bigfoot in particular. Before we get started, I just want to say James laid the groundwork for this episode. He did all the pre-interviews. He set the schedule. And when we recorded our initial interview with Dave, James was part of it. The computer problems I mentioned above caused us to lose that entire show. Dave was nice enough to do the entire interview again, but James wasn't able to make it. However, I wanted to thank James for all of his help with this episode, which was considerable. You had kind of a whole menu of different things. Sort of paranormal things happen. Let's start with the earliest one you remember. 
I guess, I mean, as early as I can remember, I always had like senses that there were other, I don't know, other beings in the room. I don't know, not to sound odd, but just it was always kind of a awareness. Probably the first time I was aware of that was five, but nothing specific other than just someone else in the room with me besides just myself. And as you know, I got older brothers and sisters, but I always would, you know, go off my own and play. I guess that's where I kind of got the sense of someone else in the room. I think, well, let's see. I guess the first real odd one was the uh, night before my eighth birthday. I remember I had just finished, you know, making the cupcakes and frosting the cupcakes with my mom, you know, to take into school the next day. And, of course, when you're turning eight, that's the most important thing are the cupcakes. You know, so there's a good good vibe going on in the house. I went over to my parents' room to get a, um, you know, get lunch money. And as I'm counting out the money, I just get the feeling something's watching me or looking at me. And I look up in the mirror, you know, because the dresser, my parents had to change on, had a mirror. And I see two large, like, at first I thought they were just like a reflection of the ceiling light on the mirror. But I was, I couldn't, like I turned my head, but I couldn't make the lights move. And I just thought that was kind of, Odd. No, when I turned around to actually look in the window, there are two very large amber eyes looking at me through the window, which completely, <laughs> completely freaked me out. Cause I'm like, what the heck is this? At first I'm thinking like maybe one of my brothers is playing a joke on me or something, but I'm just like, whatever it was, was big. And you could kind of make an outline of a face, which probably would be considered nowadays a type one Sasquatch. You can see this from, from the, through the window, rather. Yeah, through the window. And it wasn't like right up against the glass, but I would say maybe an inch or two from the glass. But the eyes were large amber, you know, reflecting off the light from the uh, ceiling. And I'm just looking at this, and it just like, I never felt such paralyzing fear. All it, you know, because whatever I'm looking at was looking at me and kind of turning its head to the side. And I must have given some kind of really strange look. I remember my jaw dropping open. I remember, you know, just my legs were filling up with concrete, just like that, just frozen in place kind of feeling. And then as the face was looking at me, I remember it turned toward its right, kind of like a cocked angle, like almost quizzical, like, why are you making that face kind of thing? You know, like just like puzzled face, puzzled expression somebody would make if they're not quite sure what your reaction is to something. And then I remember bolting out of the room, you know, screaming in the eyes. The eyes are looking at me. The eyes are looking at me. And my mom's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And I just remember screaming. There's some big eyes looking at me through the window. So we go back there. And, of course, there's nothing there. And my dad goes outside in the uh, backyard with a flashlight and doesn't find anything. You know, and they're, like, trying to calm me down. Oh, you must be, you know, must be excited. You have your birthday the next day, whatever. And I'm just like, I know what I, you know, something, <laughs> something big was looking at me. That's all I remember. And then for several months afterwards, I did not want to be near an open, you know, an un or an open window at night, you know, without the curtains drawn. Yeah, I um, get that. Just, and always had the sense that whatever it was, was always, in, was always in the backyard at night. Never heard anything, never saw anything after that, as far as that goes. Do you think it was eye shine or do you think it was reflection? No, it was, uh, well, eye shine reflect reflection because it was almost the same color as the light would be from the, from the ceiling light. 
Right. So they weren't self-illuminating. They were no, reflecting. no, no, no. I don't think they were. I mean, they were, they were pretty much, you know, amberish. I mean, you know, and they didn't change color. Like when the head changed position, the eye color didn't change. They still stayed the same way. Did you ever kind of go out there and, and make a guess at the height? I did. Not then. The, a couple of days later, I had enough courage to go out there. Now, my birthday is in early February. And normally in you know, the Buffalo area, there will be snow. But that winter in 74, there was no snow. It was The ground was frozen. There was snow, but it had melted. It was kind of one of those on, on off years. We'd have snow and then no snow. And, you know, there wasn't any footprints but the ground was like rock so it wouldn't nothing i don't think anything would have made a print height wise the eyes were some years later when i measured probably eight and a half feet up so i guess if you include the head probably something close to nine feet tall was there and and what makes this particularly interesting is this is the classic 1950s 1960s type suburban neighborhood so it's not like it's you know we're tucked out in the middle of the forest or near a you know, national park or anything like that. It was just smack dab in the middle of middle America, suburbia's nineteen, you know, era nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties era. This event happened in seventy four. Now nearby there are golf courses and there are, you know, some creek systems. I suppose something could have made its way up. And there were enough forested areas, but still whatever it was, had to go through some backyards or had to do, you know, because we we're like in the middle of the street. It wasn't like we were at the end of the street or anything like that. Well, 74 um, was a huge year for just weird mm-hmm. Bigfoot sightings on the East Coast. Um, yep. and a lot of them like walking into trailer parks and, and neighborhoods and stuff. So it's not terribly unusual. Yeah, it was. Yeah, in fact, wasn't that the, um, in Pennsylvania to the uh, invasion? Yeah. But Stan, Stan Gordon wrote about that. Yep. Yeah. So I was wondering if that was like, I chuckled to myself, but there just seemed to be so much stuff that yeah, I was wondering that was some kind of a, you know, Sasquatch project where, okay, you scare a bunch of little kids. So by the time they're adults, they'll be into, into Bigfoot and all that. <laughs> just, just, I guess in the sense of, you know, our populations are growing, theirs are repopulating, you know, it's just going to run into more and more run-ins. So I think if you have a generation of people that are at least aware of them and maybe, you know, coexisting with them as opposed to trying to either kill them or take their land or, you know what I mean? Like trying to be more with them versus, right. Um, you know, lording over them, so to speak. I or, think or people think, think of, you know, in 74 of things only happening, you know, there on the chestnut Ridge, but they happened all over Pennsylvania and, and these things don't stop at the state lines either. You know, um, they no. went down into Maryland and I'm sure they went up into New York as well. Well, certainly my, certainly in this part of New York. In fact, I remember too, talking to some of my classmates about it. I remember two kids had said they had similar things happen to them. Same, same descriptions as basically what I told you. And I mean, I remember we had talked about it for a while and then just kind of died out. So I don't know if, I don't know. I just always think about like, was that some kind of a, a setup so that yeah. that generation now would, because I mean, you, you look at the explosion of, of, of Bigfoot and Sasquatch, you know, all over the internet and all over the, you know, television. Sure which what most of the people are, you know, 40, 50-ish, early, early 60 age group. So uh, I was wondering about that. But anyway, so after that... Not too that, long later was, was the flannel experience, right? Flannel man. Uh, 
Yeah, about two months later. Now, I, it probably took me like a month to kind of come down from just being real jittery about that. And my family was pretty cool about it for the most part. I didn't really get too much ribbing. I mean, they, they, they knew, how do I want to put it? I don't think anybody believed me what I told them I saw, but they knew something scared the hell out of me. So I'm usually pretty, pretty easygoing, happy-go-lucky. And for a while, I was just very nervous. I don't know how else to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, although nothing actually happened that was bad. It was just the whole, you know, the shock of it. But you can't really be prepared to see something like that, no matter how much you think you might be prepared to see it. There's just no way you can, you know. And, and I just saw a head <laughs> and some eyes and you know, right. didn't see the whole being at once. Yeah, so then at that point, my brother and I shared a room. My br- brother's about four years older than I am, so he got to stay up later. So I'd have to be in bed by 8.30, and my habit was that I would get into bed, and I just kind of had this whole ritual where I would just basically tuck myself and tuck the blankets under so that nothing could get me. You know, you just somehow the blankets will magically protect you from everything. Right. And then I would keep keep the uh, blanket over my head, but I leave like a little hole out for my nose so I could breathe. You know, it was not unusual. I'd wake up like an hour later, my brother would wake me up, maybe in a, you know, sweat just from being all wrapped up, but I felt protected and it would get me to sleep. So that's all I really cared. Well, the one night, my, my sister's room was kitty corner across the hall from me and my brothers. And my sister would usually leave the door open, wide open. And then I would leave my door open a little bit. So I get like a little bit of light coming through the crack of the door, which would brighten the room a little bit. And I guess you could, I guess it was sort of like a nightlight, I guess, but it would bring light into the room. And I remember one night waking up and I thought my brother should be getting into bed shortly, but he wasn't in yet. And then I realized that my older brother, my oldest brother was standing next to the bed. My oldest brother was, you know, him and I were very close. So it was like, in some ways he was like a second dad. So I felt protected with him standing there. I thought like, well, that's cool. He's standing there kind of keeping watch over me, so to speak, until I fall asleep or whatever. I'm realizing my brother's not talking at all. And whoever was standing there was, you know, you could kind of see from the light coming in. Remember, they had like new jeans, you know, new blue jeans, the red flannel shirt, you know, the, the lumberjack type shirt. Whoever it was, was built like a lumberjack, big shoulders, big chest, big arms, big hands, just a big human. Um, I remember looking up and I remember thinking to myself, that's weird because my brother never would wear a baseball cap. And whoever was standing there had a baseball cap on and you can kind of see the outline of the jaw you know, kind of the typical square jaw. You expect a lumberjack or mountain man. It wasn't any, you know, mustache or beard. It was all clean cut. And then I remember thinking like, that's kind of weird how my brother's not saying anything. And I wasn't scared at this point at all. I didn't have any, you know, sense of anything safe. That's probably about the only way I could put it. And then I'm thinking, it's like, why isn't he talking at all? But I look back up and whoever was I'm looking at is looking down at me because you can see the cap face down toward me. And then I'm looking down at the shoes and I remember thinking, well, my brother doesn't wear boots. These are like uh, work boots, like a, I don't know, leather, steel toe boot. And you could smell the leather. You could smell whatever it was, was new, you know, that kind of thing. And then it just suddenly hit me in a flash. I'm like, this is not my brother. My brother does not have these boots. He would have said something by now. And I'm looking back up and I <laughs> it just that same rush of fear bolted through me again. I, you know, shot out of the room. You know, it's screaming, there's somebody in the room, there's somebody in the room. And my, or look at my dad's face, is like, oh, great, here we go again. <laughs> you know? 
And so everybody, you know, turned the light on. And of course, there's nothing in the room. But I, but I remember before I bolted, I remember touching the boots. I remember I had reached out and actually physically touched the boots, physically felt a foot in the boots. So whatever was there was there. It wasn't like a, a figment of my imagination. It was something I could actually touch. I remember, you know, pulling on the, you know, bottom of the, the jean hem, you know, by the boots. I remember doing all that. So whatever it was, there was an actual thing. But it was in the process of doing that is when I realized this isn't my brother. So did you have to run by this person to get out? No, they were kind of standing at the head of the bed, okay. like next, next to the bed. There was like a, a, a gap between the bed and the dresser. And they were standing in that, I don't know, two or three foot section. I never could figure out how someone standing there, how they got there in the first place, and then how they bolted in those few seconds that I ran out of the room. And when we ran back in the room, because there was nobody in there. And for years, I always wondered about that. And then when I was talking with James and he had mentioned that you were doing a thing on Flannel Man, I'm like, Flannel Man? <laughs> who, is, who is Flannel Man? You know, because I'm like, for years, I, I never could figure out who that was. I mean, I felt protected, so I didn't really, and, and again, nothing bad happened, nothing scary happened. There wasn't any, you know, anything freakish. It was just someone very large standing at the bedside. If not a good vibe, you didn't get a negative vibe from this. Not entity. at all. Not at all. And and honestly, even when the Squatch was looking at me, it wasn't any kind of vibe other than just maybe confusion why from, I don't know, maybe on its part that, you know, why am I reacting the way I'm reacting? Because it was, I mean, it wasn't like any screaming. It wasn't like any, you know, it wasn't getting zapped with infrasound. It wasn't anything at all remotely negative or malevolent in any way, shape or form. Right. I do remember then after that flannel man experience that I got obsessed with reading every book I could on cryptids and UFOs and just, you know, and up till then I really had absolutely no idea in any of this stuff. Well, seven or eight years old, what kind of idea would you have anyway? But, but it was just weird because I go to the library and librarians got sick of me asking if they had any new books on, on Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, there weren't a ton of them back then. I, I mean, no, I was, there really I weren't. Um, but it was more of an interest. I just could not get my hands on enough stuff to read, I guess. I don't know how else to put it. Right. And, and then I remember there was a small movie theater near us, and sometimes they would have 3D movies there. And I remember one time me and my dad had gone there to see what movie. I think it was The Bubble. Yeah, it was a movie called The Bubble. It was some horrible B science fiction movie that they had in in 3d and it was, I remember it was a story about this town that gets encased in a giant glass bubble by these aliens. This was back in the day when they used to run stuff, you know, little short movies before the actual movie. Right. And I remember they were showing the Patterson Gimlin film. That's the first time I ever saw it. Now this is actually probably what was nine, nine or 10. And I remember seeing that. And it, as soon as I saw Patty walking by, I'm like, I bet that's what was outside the window. And I started talking to my dad, I remember, in the theater about it. You know, I bet that's what was outside the window. Because every once in a while, I'd, I'd still bring it up. And he would just kind of look at me like, oh, come on. You just you just were imagining things. You know, my dad was an engineer and, you know, very, you know, engineer-minded. And, right. And uh, you got to have proof for that. You got to have pictures or, you know, you could have seen anything. All you know, you were just tired. I'm like, yeah, I, I chose to see that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I chose to have the crap scared out of myself. Yeah, so that was that. And then around that time, too, I joined Cub Scouts. And I used to, one of my favorite things, and, and actually in Boy Scouts as well, but one of my favorite things was just to go, you know, once we got set up, was just to go get lost in the woods and 
hike around on my own. And it's funny, I used to have all these experiences in the forest with the wood knocks, the whistles, the tree shaking. I remember, you know, I'd have all this stuff going on. I never, you know, at this point, I kind of had forgotten about the whole flannel man thing. You know, as you get older, you start to you know, forget things. And But I remember, it's private property now, but it used to be Toad Hollow Camp Out or Campground in uh, Eden, New York. It was, it was like 30-odd 30, 30 acres that would be right on uh, 18 Mile Creek. And I used to just love to go creek walking, and there's different tributaries. I, I just I just would get lost in the woods. That was great. But I remember, you know, I'd be out in the middle of middle of the woods, and you hear tree knocks, and I used to think, well, who's who's? Because I I thought somebody was chopping wood, and I'm like, who would be chopping wood out here? Because I know like there's a couple different cabin areas that were at the property, but I was quite a ways away from them. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you would have like, like a, when I was like a kid, I wouldn't shot. have known to you know, think anything of, if I heard a knock in the woods, I would have thought, Oh, like you said, somebody's cutting wood or. Yeah. I thought, I thought that I thought trees must've been bumping into each other, but there was no wind. And sometimes there would be wind, but still when it, when a tree rubs, they, they make that grinding sound. They don't make a striking sound, but that's what I would, I would hear that. I would, I remember one time I'm walking and a shorter tree started shaking like crazy. And I thought that was strange, and I, I, but I never equated anything whatsoever. As much as I was enmeshed in cryptids and all that, but, but by that age, 10 or 11, I just had pretty much put all that stuff out of my mind. But I remember thinking, well, what would be shaking a tree? And I just thought there were other scouts or other um, troops in the area. We, we weren't the only troop there, so I figured there might have been just somebody playing a joke or whatever. But I never, again, never felt threatened by it. I've never really had a threatening you know, here are some of these horrible stories that people have. I never had anything like that at all. But I would remember, you know, trees shaking, and I would just kind of like, okay, I'm just not going to go that way in a different way. I distinctly remember walking in one creek, and I remember stones kept getting thrown at my shoes, and I kept looking up, and I didn't see anybody throwing them. And I just figured that there was just scouts hiding, throwing stuff. That's as, that's as much as I ever thought about it. And then the whistles, I always just thought were, you know, even though they come right next to me, near me, in front of me, behind me, sometimes two and three and four at one time. I never, ever thought of there were nothing else but birds. And in fact, I remember one camp out, me and my one friend were imitating that whistle the whole weekend because for the whole week at summer camp, because I kept thinking he was making the whistle and he kept thinking I was making the whistle. And I remember one time we were sitting in our tent and we heard the whistle and I'm like, how did you make that whistle? And he goes, I didn't. How did you make the whistle? And I'm like, I didn't, but we kept hearing the whistle just outside our tent. This huh. isn't daytime. I guess they were around a lot, but I just never really noticed that much. I mean, in terms of being a Sasquatch versus you just, know, I I, you know, I wonder if that animal. just doesn't happen in general. If, if I think it does, yeah, like if they're around, if you're not picking up on the signs, or if you're just not tuned into that kind of thing, if people walk by them every day, you know, I think that happens a lot because, like, even like looking back, we were at another campsite the uh or scoutmaster knew a guy that had a couple hundred acres in um uh, zora valley and we would go there that was like especially the october camp out it was like just like usually the weekend before halloween and and just about every time we went there the weather was just to be an unusually warm weekend it was i'd love going there and at nighttime you'd hear the hoot owls going but 
prior to that, there was always something heavy walking in the woods. You'd hear it to the right, you know, we'd be around the campfire and you hear something off in the woods to the right, something off to the left. And then the owls would start back and forth, you know, and, and I had, you know, we were, oh, there's the owl. And then we'd hoot, we'd hoot back at the owls and the owls would hoot back at us. And, and we're like, wow, they got really cool owls out here. You know? <laughs> just, right. yeah. just, just never, ever, ever anyone ever thought about, you know, anything other than just an owl. And we just figured the, whatever was very heavy and walking was just a deer, even though it was two steps, not, you know, four. And even two, I remember if we we'd go for a walk at night, there'd be, um, you know, especially like at summer camp, you'd hear crickets. And then all of a sudden there wouldn't be any noise whatsoever. Everything went dead quiet. You know, the usual signs when Bigfoot's around, you know, everything goes dead quiet. I remember we'd have that, but again, just never put two and two together on any of this stuff. Right. Um, just things that would happen in the woods, you know, you just kind of chucked it up to that. Never thought much more beyond that. And then after I graduated college, I remember I took a trip. Me and my girlfriend took a trip out West for uh, three weeks. The, the reader's digest tour of, of out West, you know, flew to Salt Lake, went down, you know, I was trying to see as many places as I could. You know, if that meant literally just spending three hours at a uh, national park, you know, just to get an idea of places I'd love to come back and visit someday. And so we put actually about 60, 200 miles on in three weeks, a lot of driving. Yeah. But camp most of it. Uh, we stayed with my cousin in LA for a couple of days, but the rest of it was all camping. No real experiences I can speak of except for the one incident in Missoula, Montana. And again, at this point, Bigfoot was completely out of my mind. I never gave it a thought. The camp we were at the, at the KOA in Missoula, Montana, which is really, I don't know about now, but back then was a really nice KOA. And we were in the tent area at the end of the road. You know, they had like the main main RV areas and the, the tent cities, we would call them, were in the back. One, two, three, ten sites down from us was a guy who was just drunk as a skunk. He was Scottish. I could say that because of the brogue. It took me a little bit to figure out who, at first I thought it was an, a heavy Irish brogue, but then I realized it was a Scottish brogue. And he was just talking to God knows what. He had a big fire going. He had his, I don't know, close to half a bottle of whiskey consumed at that point, I think. He was holding a bottle of whiskey that was half empty. Very drunk, very loud, and all I kept thinking was, my God, this guy's either going to fall in the fire, you know, start on fire. Just very dangerous situation, but at that point, we had like an eight-hour drive ahead of us, and it's, you know, at this point, I was just tired of driving and just wanted to sleep. So I'm like, I hope he shuts up after a while because I need to sleep. You know, put my pillow over my ears and managed to get to sleep. And then I woke up, you know, sometime later, and he still had it. He's still yapping away out there. I'm like, enough of this. So I unzip the, the tent a little bit and stick my head out. And I'm about to tell him to shut up. And as I stick my head out, it's like as inky black as you can imagine. I mean, just so dark, you can't see your hand in front of your face. Can't tell where the trees on the sky begins, that type of dark. Mm-hmm. And, and where we were was like the, the, the road was open above. And then there was like treed areas. It wasn't like dense forest, but, you know, just treed areas. And, but everything was just black as black. And so I stuck my head out and I'm listening and I'm listening and all of a sudden the voices stop and I'm realizing obviously it's not that guy because where his, his uh, campsite was, was completely black. Everything was black, no fire, no nothing. And I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm like, I realized later the two people I heard talking was actually, you know, the samurai chatter. I'm, I'm guessing two sentinels were hanging out there just shooting the breeze and, and uh, until I poked my head out. 
but they were, you know, that, that samurai chatter was going on that stopped. And then I'm listening and listening. And maybe like 10 seconds later, I start getting those little soft pine cones started landing like on the bridge of my nose in the middle of my forehead and just boom, 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 one after the other, not hard, just like someone's tossing them. And again, this is like complete blackness. So whoever was throwing at night had absolutely perfect aim because <laughs> it was, I mean, it was like within a line and I'm like, what, what is it? And I'm thinking like maybe a tree above me, you know, there's pine cones falling on me. Although I thought that would be kind of odd in the middle of the night, pine cones to suddenly start falling. And after like, I don't know, quite a few of them, I like the heck with this. So I zipped the, I, you know, the fly back up and I, laid back down and as I'm laying back down, I'm hearing boom, 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 you know, something heavy and two feet walking over to my tent. And I just get the, I don't know, I'm laying there and I'm like, just getting the feeling like I'm being scanned. I don't know how else to put it, but I just felt like something was either reading my mind or reading my intent. You know, did I have a gun in the tent? Am I going to come out shooting? Am I going to, you know, what? And, and I just kept saying over and over and over my mind, don't worry, I'm not coming out. I'm, I'm going back to bed. I'm tired. And I just kept saying that over and over, it seemed like for three or four minutes. And then it just felt like the scan stopped. I don't know how else to put it, but it just felt like a scan. It wasn't, it wasn't the infrasound. It wasn't like I was getting nauseous or anything like that. It was just felt like someone reading your thoughts or reading your intent. Mm-hmm. And then I, whatever it was, walked off. And then the um, next morning we got up pretty early and I'm like thinking about what happened the night before. I'm like, did I dream this? And I, unzipped the tent fly and I counted 33. Those little pine cones were all just sitting right there. I'm like, okay, you know, I look up above me. There's nothing but quaking aspens above me. There's no pine trees near the pine tree. Closest pine trees are about maybe what, 25, 30 yards away. So the people next to us, the woman was complaining to her boyfriend or husband about those guys that were talking half the night and they were so rude. <laughs> I'm like, I don't. And and again, I, I had, had, Samurai chatter. I mean, only late. Actually, it was only when I heard the uh, Ron Moorhead tapes, the Sierra sounds, when I realized what that chatter was that I was listening to. Right. Um, because at first I'm thinking like, okay, so you got a Scottish guy drunk talking to the wind. You got now you got Japanese people talking. You know that that's what it's that that's what I remember thinking in my head. And where that the Scottish guy was, his his tent was gone. You know, he was gone. Uh, the people next to him were gone. Um, this is pretty early. So I don't know if people left in the middle of the night or if they left very early. You know, <laughs> I'm not oh, really sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, my, my guess, you know, knowing what I know now, I'm guessing it was probably two Sentinels just hanging out. But again, at that time, I just never put, you know, two and two together with Bigfoot. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Probably five years ago, I started getting into this all over again. You know, I was going through a divorce and and just all the crap that goes along with that and just a lot of free time on my hands. So I'm like just going through podcasts and that's where I found, you know, Wes's Sasquatch, Sasquatch Chronicles and realized that I don't know what made me get back into it, to be honest. It just one day I just start going through podcasts and I'm like, oh, I wonder if there's anything on Bigfoot. Ha ha. And then I'm realizing, whoa, there's a lot on Bigfoot. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, <laughs> and this was, I mean, even five years ago, I mean, it was like a lot start pretty much started listening to everything I could get my hands on. And it wasn't until I'm, you know, Wes would start playing different sounds and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> that's what was around me. All those times, all those times when I was camping, nothing, again, nothing ever bad ever happened, but just all the, you know, sometimes the whoop, sometimes the, the whistles, the tree shakes, the knocks, all that stuff, the typical Bigfoot, phenomena that would go on all around me all the time. I never thought twice about, you know, that it could actually be anything like that. After your divorce, you moved back into your childhood home for a while, right? Yes. Yeah. Where the, where the action happened (laughs) all those years earlier and things might, I don't know. It's funny. My mom, I remember my mom telling me one time, not too long after my dad had passed it, she was awoken in the middle of the night to someone ringing the front doorbell. I remember that she never answered it. And then you hear about these stories about black eyed kids showing up at odd hours, ringing the front doorbell. I'm glad she never answered the door. But that house always had, and still does, has odd. I don't know, must, I don't know if there's a vortex near there or or what the deal is, but I had a lot of odd experiences there when I moved back. I shouldn't say odd. Actually, they're pretty cool. Well, let's um, get into them. Yeah, it's 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 funny too because I remember at my, well, let's see, the house I used to live in that I still half own, but have, <laughs> haven't lived there in five years. But I remember too, even there, there used to be, I used to see, I mean, I don't know how far out you want me to go, but I remember I used to see astral Sasquatch there. Like I used to see Sasquatch beings outside my house. Like I had a, like a, a lot next door that was all trees and I used to just like going in there. I mean, it wasn't like a dense, I mean, there were a lot of trees, but it wasn't like it was a big forest. I mean, it was just like a lot between two houses in a neighborhood playground in the back so it was you know it wasn't like it was you know acres and acres of land it was just like a what 150 by 150 plot say but i remember i'd go in there sometimes and i look back at my house and i would see like out of the corner of my eye like these like bigfoot looking beings walking around the house real quick and then disappear and sometimes i'd see them in the house and i remember my dog sometimes too used to get absolutely terrified like she had gotten sprayed in the face with a skunk and so i, I guess with dogs they're the only supposedly the only animal that will repeatedly go after a skunk like they don't learn supposedly like other animals will learn if there's a skunk around just go the other way huh. but apparently dogs don't i don't know how much truth to it but my dog learned her lesson whenever she'd smell skunk she'd bolt back in the house but i remember other nights she used to look out the window and just start whimpering and just like lure body to my leg practically and looking at looked and just had a real terrified look on my on her face and i never could figure it out but i was you know i was wondering how what was going on in my house, but I, I would see them around the house and in the house. 
when, when you say astral, do you mean like um, like it was the shape of a big foot, but you could see through it, but it was still brown. And so it would almost move. like like kind of like the predator thing people talk about sometimes. Kind of like that, but it it would be the shape of a bigfoot. It would be something that moved very quick, and if it got this, my couple times the guy got the sense that it realized I could see it, and it would like double quick try to hide. Like I I built this little room in my my basement, you know, for the it like the sump pump and the water purifier room you know just like just to kind of cover it cover it off but i remember i used to see things you know run in there and of course you walk in there there's nothing in there that used to happen a lot actually not right away but maybe the last three or four years i was there and actually there was a lot of weird crap that would happen at that house like i remember one easter i was sick with the flu my wife at the time and my kids went to my in-laws at the time and I had some crazy, you know, just one of those 103, 104 fevers that you're just, you don't know what end is up and you're exhausted, but you can't sleep. Your heart's going a million miles an hour. You know, right. you want to sleep, but you can't. And I remember hearing like two guys talking downstairs. It was weird. It was like two people having a conversation. I had a bunch of odd ghost stories, I guess, or whatever you want to call them. But two people talking in the family room. And it was like just two guys talking. And I remember at one point, I remember shouting out, would you two shut up? I'm trying to sleep. And immediately the conversation stopped. And then the attic, we had a walk-up attic. The attic above me, I could hear somebody very plainly walking in hard shoes, walking in the attic from one corner to the other. Now, could you understand the conversation? Or Not at all. It, it, it would be like if, it's like if you're in one part of the house and you, and you hear two people talking in a, in a room a couple doors down, you can hear what they're talking can hear them talking but you can't hear what they're talking about right yeah but it was it was just kind of a conversation i mean it could be any conversation i don't know what it was but yeah there was a lot of odd stuff in that house and then they think about it let's jump to the wall slap thing because I, I really like yeah, that, that yeah that yeah that was weird. okay so um as i started getting back into bigfoot i, I started like just different books you'd, you'd you'd see on amazon and you know just pick up some different books and i just like the name of uh kiwani lapsaritis's book the psychic sasquatch i don't know just kind of had a ring about it and i you know as early as i can remember like i said before as early as i can remember i've always had odd experiences and kind of runs in the family so i figured like get this book see what it's about he said if you don't think sasquatch can read your mind try this experiment but you have to do it sincerely and he kept reiterating that it must be done sincerely because they'll know if you're not sincere by your intent so what i asked sincerely was for if there was a bigfoot listening to somehow make themselves known that they can hear me and literally as i'm finishing that thought the loudest banging sound occurred inside the bathroom i was doing number two at the time to be perfectly blunt and this sound came from the wall behind the mirror uh, my mom's got this very large mirror that's attached to the wall but this was just an unbelievably loud sound it sounded like somebody had a 30 pound maul and just as hard as they could whacked it into the wall it's i mean it was just unbelievably loud and this was and an interior wall Interior wall, um, between wall between the bathroom and my mom's bedroom, and I'm like, holy crap! And it was literally at the speed of thought. I thought this, or said this in my mind sincerely, and literally as I finished it, bam! And the really strange thing is, is when you know, got out of the bathroom and I go to my mom. I'm like, did you hear that loud bang? And she goes, what bang? I'm like, just a couple minutes ago, there was a super, super, super loud bang. She goes, no, I didn't hear anything. I was right here. 
you know, she's watching her show and, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> Just after I had asked her that, I got this, I don't know if you want to call it a voice or a voice impression in my head saying that we're something to the effect that Sasquatch are able to make thought bubbles. So to that's what was called a thought bubble that they can contain within the thought bubble, anything. And then once they create that thought bubble, they can speak to you. That's like, you know, when they natives talk about uh, ventriloquism and, you know, mimicking and all that stuff, they can do that through this thought bubble. So in a sense, it's like a little world within a world. And so they would just have to think hard hit and it would happen. I would hear it as a hard hit, even though nothing was actually struck. But to my ears, I mean, that's, that's about the best way I can describe it. Apparently, at one point, we were able to do that as well, but we lost that with our wonderfully modern world. So from all this, I'm going to go ahead and make an educated guess that you are in the camp that believes Bigfoot are more than just a simple animal, an ape in the woods. Oh, very much. And they're not an ape. They're a a people. How do you want to put it? They're supposedly at one point way back a long time ago, we we had the same ability, a lot of the same abilities they did. They, they're better at it. You know, you hear, hear stories like with um, samurai and then certain um, what Sufi religion, I think it is, and some other practices where people can do by location and stuff like that, which apparently we have that ability to do, but our modern world has shut many parts of our brain off. But apparently it is something that with practice, we couldn't do many of these things again. I like the way uh, Henry Franzoni puts me. So they're high-tech supernatural hillbillies, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is the best way to put it. They live very simply. They live very of the earth in harmony with the earth, but they also have abilities that just, I mean, to the point of influencing local weather patterns, like in uh, the David Pilates stuff with the uh, missing 411. It's like, you know, you have someone disappears and the next day it's foggy. The next day it's rainy, you know, right. but, only, but only in that area, you know, stuff like that, you know, Apparently not all of them have the ability to do that, but I guess if you want to say the more advanced ones, because there are other ones that are are more animalistic. What's the one Brian Sullivan? The Gugwees, you know, right. the face eaters, you know, th- those are definitely much more animalistic and nasty. But you know. So I know even some of the most kind of hardcore, it's just an ape in the woods folks will say, once you've seen one, then they're kind of somehow tuned into you. Absolutely. And, and your chances of seeing... Another one is going to go way up. They don't really offer an explanation for it. I like to say a lot of those guys, they kind of have these Rube Goldberg devices of crazy theories they put together to try to explain this stuff in a, in a very natural way. You know, the footprints disappearing, the creatures themselves disappearing, all this stuff. They have these you know, crazy explanations. I think some of the, and I think some of what they come up with is true. Like, you know, retracing footsteps. So then when the snow melts, it just looks like blocks of grass it doesn't look like footprint you know stuff like that I'm, I'm sure there is all of that you know heading through trees versus the ground so it makes it look like their you know footprint just disappeared but you know like at like at my mom's house i remember one night you know because i'm up late i work a lot so i'm up late you know doing paperwork and such so i keep odd hours and one night I was there and I, my mom would have her, you know, she likes to, she likes her Tostitos. So she leaves them up on top of the refrigerator. And I remember one night distinctly hearing the crinkle of the Tostitos bag. I know she's asleep in the TV room and then no one's in the kitchen, but you can hear the bag being crinkled. Could be a mouse, I guess. But whatever it is, it's, un, you know, the, the, the sound the bag will like that will make when someone's unraveling it. 
but trying to be quiet about it. You know, right. it just certain motions have certain sounds to them. So that night there was that going on. I also remember hearing something pulling or playing at the door from the garage into the house. Now, mind you, in order to do that, someone had to get through two doors, you know, a door in the front, a door in the back that were locked. There's a screen door that, you know, one of those forever doors that's locked. And then there's a door, you know, a regular wood door that's also locked. So, yeah, something was inside the garage pulling on the door handle a good part of the night. And in the morning, the door handle, which was metal, was bent backward, which I don't know. How, whoever did it had a hell of a lot of strength. Now, that night I got home maybe 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and that door was just how it regularly would be. But in the morning, the handle's bent backward. Now, explain that one. <laughs> right. And, and mind you, the doors to the front and back were locked. You know, I have heard stories where... Sasquatch will come into a door frame and push it wide so that the lock mechanism can just be, you know, the door can just be easily pushed open. Mm-hmm. And, and I do remember that night the hearing an incredibly loud pop near the back door, which is right next to the room I was in. You know, there's house settling noises, but this was different. It wasn't like a house whack, but it was definitely a very loud crack sound, like something being pulled or pushed. So I don't know if someone something came in that way, but in the morning, everything was locked up because I checked that in the morning. But the interesting thing, too, and I, I sent uh, James the pictures, was that it was an 18-inch footprint that was inside the house. <laughs> wow. I did not make that. That was there. I mean, I got the tape measured next to it. I have my foot next to it for reference, but you can see an imprint in the rug, one singular right footprint that was in the living room rug. You know, take it for what it's worth. I did not make it. And then walking out to my car... It was like an artwork of a woven person with a stick next to it. When Sasquatch gift, if if you're good with psychometry, you know, when you touch something, you can get the image of what they're trying to pass on. In other words, it's just more than just a rock or a feather. If you touch it, you'll also get like a little image or a story, so to speak, that goes along with it. So when I picked this up, the image I got in my head was that I need to get back out in the woods. And that was actually a woven thing of me with a walking stick telling me to get back out in the woods, basically. Did you? No, not a whole lot because my job eats up a lot of my time. But interestingly enough, a lot of my cases lately have taken me back to those exact areas that I would go to when I was uh, in scouts camping. And what I've been obsessed with lately, like this week, last week, and normally I never cared about tree structures, but I'm just obsessed with them. I'm seeing them in different areas now, uh, like the ones like, you know, you look on the YouTube channels and oh, here's one of the X pattern and here's one of the three, you know, three sticks that are laid out like in a, making like a six pie, six piece pie shape. Right. You know, I, I, I see that near some very dense woods. And to me, it's, to me, I think it's a barrier or like territorial marker where our land ends here and someone else's land because there's a house very close to there. And, and actually, it's interesting. There was a really good episode on... Uh, what is it? Cundiff, uh, the guy that does the dog oh, man. No, he's a Bigfoot eyewitness. Bigfoot eyewitness. He's got one on there. I think it's episode 56 or something around there, but it's Bigfoot around the world. And, he, and he's got a guy on there who became a Buddhist monk of some order. But he actually spent time with a woman who was a Buddhist doctor, monk combo person that lived up and she actually had a practice about 25 minutes from my house and it's interesting how he talks about this whole experience he had and i know exactly pretty much exactly where he went 
where he met up with three different troops over a year and a half. And it's like literally 25 minutes from my house. So it's like, and this was only two years ago. So I'm realizing there is a whole lot very close to where I am. So I'm gradually getting myself back out there. I just, you know, I'm kind of picking and choosing places where to go because I don't, you know, knocking on people's door. Hi, can I go in your backyard and look for Bigfoot? I don't think I'll get a very warm reception. But yeah. there are some small parks that border some fairly dense tree areas, you know, just kind of basing it on Google. And there's, you know, Baron Kumbo talk about looking at topography and high and low places and all that stuff. And it's, it's really interesting when you really start to look, and especially now with all the leaves off the trees, you can really start to, you know, there's a tree fall. We know we had a tornado go through here during the summer. I mean, there's damage from that know from its path but then you also see just the stick structures that are like hmm you know especially really big trees that would probably take yeah. several to be able to move i've found tree structures in fairly populated parks that i cannot explain as as natural tree falls so i don't think you have to go deep into you know thousand acres into some national forest to find this stuff. I, I'm, I learning, think, I'm learning this too, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is actually quite cool. I think they're a lot closer than people ever thought and would ever like to comfortably think. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. This one um, nursing home that's one town over from me, there's one area where they have like private house, like people that still want to live in a house, but be a part of a Sure. Like yeah. a nursing facility. Those homes are all set in like, like a, in a wood line. And it's interesting. The last home is in one spot and right next to that home is a massive X. And I mean, these trees are probably 25, 30 feet tall, but it's a definite massive X. It's not like tree fall. It's, they were placed there. It's interesting because beyond that is, you know, probably several hundred acres of wood, you know, interspersed while the highway cuts through part of it. But but generally, there's like a whole fairly good area of, of wood, of woods there. And it's, it's interesting. It's almost like, okay, that's your area. This is our area. <laughs> I've been yeah. tempted to go back there, but I, I haven't gone back there yet. But I, I found that interesting. And, and it's right, right in the middle of a pretty busy town. So if I, I fail to point out this, Soraya and Joshua will think I've failed them. <laughs> a lot of what you talk about, there's quite a big crossover here between the two subjects, but a lot of the hits, uh, the things getting thrown at you, disembodied voices, sounds in the house, also sounds like poltergeist activity. Yep. I, I often wonder how much poltergeist is actually Bigfoot activity. That's um, kind of where I was going. I think, I think those guys are sort of coming at it as, I wonder how much Bigfoot activity is poltergeist activity. And I've sort of started to flip it. Now I'm wondering how much poltergeist activity is Bigfoot activity. Especially near graveyards. I find it interesting. I mean, I, don't, I know the area where Soraya lives, but I don't, I mean, obviously I've never been there, but I find it interesting how he, you know, what stuff that he describes to me as classic Bigfoot in the area by you know, the wood, because he's heard whistles, he's heard, just, I forget what show it was, but he was just mentioning the odd things that happened near his house. And I'm like, that's all classic Bigfoot. But he was trying to think of it that it was some kind of like ghost in the woods thing. And I'm like, well, kind of close, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, we may be talking about the same thing under different names. And, and that, so. might, that might go across the whole paranormal spectrum. It's hard to say. It, it is very hard to say because it's like, I mean, I've had, I mean, I don't know if you want me to 
tell you my, my great grandmother ghost story, you know, that one. But, um, but I mean, I've, I've had experiences that I would have to say I would chalk up to some kind of, I, I don't like the word paranormal because to me, it, I think all this stuff is normal, you know, it's just depending on how your point of view is on it. But, but I can definitely would, would chalk it up to more ghostly type things and uh, Sasquatch type things. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, I've, I've never, as far as I know, I've never had any poltergeist activity. Oh, no, I, well, there was the one, but it, well, that was my grandfather, but that was, okay. um, I don't know how we're doing on time, but I mean, I could tell that one quick. Yeah, go ahead. But uh, like me, me, my one brother, the one that, you know, we shared the room together and my oldest brother, we're all just kind of, you know, goofing as boys will do wrestling and whatnot. And they were a lot bigger than I was. So, you know, there's that point where you're goofing around and you're realizing if I stay here, I'm going to get crushed. So I just kind of backed off a little bit and they're just ones trying to get the other one in a headlock, that kind of stuff. But you can tell at one point it's starting to escalate. Not into fists, but close. Right. And then, and then I remember like kind of watching this. And I'm just kind of goofing, goofing with them. And then in the corner of my eye, I see a book fly off the bookshelf, land in the middle of the room, you know, making a good boom sound. They stop. They look at me. They look at the book. They look at me. They look at the book. We all walk out of the room. About two hours later, you know, I kept peering in the room. And about me, about two hours later, I get the courage up to go back into the room picked the bird book up and it was a book on uh, bird watching. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't know we had this book. And you know, just different birds that you'd expect to see in different parts of the country and all that. And uh, I put it back on the bookshelf and I'm just looking at the book for a couple of minutes to see if it's going to fly off the shelf again. And you know, everything is quiet. And then I go to my mom later, she's ironing and I'm like, you know, mom, something weird happened before. And she's like, what? So I was telling her about the wrestling and such. And I said, all of a sudden, this book flew off the shelf and landed in the middle of the room. Her face went white, like just ashen white. Her face and mouth drops open. And I'm like, what? And she goes, what book was it? I said, it was, I don't know, some bird watching book, this yellow book. And I got the book for her. And she's like, this is your grandfather's bird watching book. My, my grandfather was a pharmacist. He worked a lot, but when he got a chance, he liked, like, just liked to get out and bird watch and relax. She goes, yeah, this is his book. Now, she had four older brothers, or not four older brothers, four brothers growing up. And, of course, you know, just boys being boys, you know, you wrestle and you get into fights and that kind of stuff. And I never knew my grandparents or my grandfather, my grandmothers. But apparently my mom's dad, instead of yelling at everybody to shut up, would find the heaviest book he could in the, in the room and throw it in the middle of the room to make a big boom. And, that, and he'd walk out of the room. And that would be his way of saying, okay, knock it off. And that's exactly what happened here. <laughs> oh, wow. That, that was pretty wild. Yeah, that, that one, I would definitely chalk that one up to uh, ghost, I guess you could say, or grandfather ghost. And then the other one, I was at my grandma, other grandmother, my, my, my dad, dad's mom. And uh, she came here from Poland when she was nine. So she mainly spoke Polish, learned enough English to order food at the market and stuff like that, but mainly spoke Polish. And she spoke Russian, too. So, you know, we go there and, and uh, go visiting and, and, you know, they're talking away in Polish. I have no idea what they're talking about. So I used to just wander around her house and she had a bunch of cats and there's a couple cats that were friendly and I'd play with them for a while. And then, you know, you try to find something on television, but it's the old days of the rabbit ears and, you, you know, you maybe pull in one channel kind of, you know, or the one channel you do pull in, there's nothing on there you want to watch. So, you know, you just kind of idling around trying to find something. And then... Um, I had gone upstairs. There was one bedroom upstairs, and the rest of it was just an unfinished attic, basically. 
And so I went upstairs and I'm like, well, that's where the one door is closed up there. So I, I go in the door or, you know, knock on the door, I walk in and there was this woman in there and she's got like, you know, black dress, black shoes, black, like black nylons and all that. And, and, and she's giving me this like shocked look, like, what are you doing here? And she's like, go, go, get out, get out. You're not, you're not supposed to be in here. Get out of here. And she's pushing me out of the door, literally. And, you know, she says, don't come back here. And she closes the door and I'm like standing there. I'm like, who is this? You know, and why isn't she downstairs? And, and why is she dressed up? And I'm like, you know, we going somewhere. And then I'm like, you know, my dad wasn't dressed. And I'm just trying to I think I might've been on around 11 or 12 at this time. So I'm like, who is this? So I, I go back in the room again and she's still in there and she's putting like jewelry around her neck, like a necklace of some kind. And again, she's looking at me like, what, what are you doing here? Get out of here. Go, go, go. And she shoes me out and she's got kind of an accent, you know, but I figure it was one of my grandmother's friends, probably somebody from the neighborhood. It was, you know, back then it was predominantly like Polish and German neighborhood. So I'm just kind of like, who is this? So I go back downstairs and I ask my dad and my grandmother, I'm like, who's upstairs? And they're like, there's no one upstairs. I say, yeah, there's a woman upstairs. And I describe them to her, to them, both their jaws drop open and they're looking at each other and they're like, why don't you just stay down here? Don't go back up there. And I'm like, all right, whatever. Well, I asked my dad who it was, and he's like, oh, it was just, just, just a lady. And I'm just, you know, real kind of secretive about it. I'm like, whatever. Getting my dad to talk about his past was difficult. Just to him, the past was the past. He would never talk about his past. And it wasn't like it was anything bad or crazy to him. It was just boring. And then um, I ran into my cousin, who him and my dad used to pal around a lot together when they were kids. So he was like a walking encyclopedia and everything he did and everything they did. So it was just cool to hear, you know, just stuff you, that your dad did when he was a kid and when he was your age and that kind of stuff. And my cousin, his mom died giving birth to his sister. So he was raised by, by his grandmother, which was my great grandmother and her husband. And one day I'm, I'm there at his house and he's like, Oh, let me show you a picture. Cause there was actually, she had six kids, you know, one of which was my grandmother. So they, he pulls the picture out. And he goes, oh, yeah, this is Dorothy right here. That was the woman I saw in the room, except Dorothy died in 78. And when I was in the room, it was probably like 81, 82. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's like suddenly hit me. I'm like, I got, I got pushed out of the room by a ghost. I mean, it was like literally flesh pushing me out. It was like, you know, it wasn't like something pushing me in a hand going through my body or something. It was someone literally pushing me out. It's pretty wild. But that that was her personality. You know, she was very brusque. No play with her. Everything was all business all the time. And the dress that she was wearing was actually her funeral dress. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's why she was all in black. The question that I will perhaps end with here, given all these experiences, do you think that you are a magnet for the paranormal or do you think that at some point you just sort of became more aware of it and you just notice it more? I think part of it is genetic because like that same grandma, great grandmother is telling you about, she used to do tarot cards and do readings and psychic readings and all that uh, for her friends. I remember my dad would tell me stories about this 10 year old boy he would see and would talk to who would just show up out of the blue and tell him that so-and-so is about to die. And two days later, whoever he said it was going to die had passed. I think it just part of it, I think runs in the family part of it. I'm open to it. I don't know. To me, I think this stuff goes on all the time, all around everybody. I think it's just whether or not you're tuned to it. I don't know if yeah. it's necessarily a magnet. I just am aware. Like even when we talked last time, right after we hung up, 
you know, I'm, I'm working at my house and I'm, I'm, I'm in the living room. I was doing some painting and not five minutes after we hung up, you know, I was talking about the, the astral squatch. Well, I, I don't look for these things. I'm just making sure I'm not painting over corners and stuff. So my mind's on painting. Corner of my eye, I see, I don't know, eight-ish foot astral, brown astral scratch walking to the living room and then like stopped and then bolted out like as soon as I turned and saw it. I mean, that just like that, it just stuff like that just happens. I don't think about any of this stuff. It just, stuff like this just kind of happens. Mm-hmm. And like, even like when I go and like all the experiences I had camping and all that, I never looked for anything to happen as much as stuff would just happen i think if you look for it that intent is there and i think it spoils it on their end and so they don't show so i think it's more like if you don't go with any intent on anything other than just what you want to do that's when they're more apt to show themselves i think they're just able to pick up that that vibe and from their point of view they wouldn't want to be looked at it as some kind of a um, an oddity to be found in the forest you know right i i I think they don't Partly a thing of mutual respect, you know, if, you, if you're going to come there with the intent of, I wouldn't say honoring them per se, but just, well, that was interesting. Okay. As I'm talking here, this white orb just shot out and disappeared in front of me. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah. This is how this stuff happens with me. It, I, 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 it just kind of happens. I don't, that was interesting. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we got it on tape. Yeah. What it means, I don't know. A lot of a lot of times, I get stuff like that. I just look at it as what I'm doing at that moment is confirmation of the thing that should be going on at that moment. I don't know. I guess I kind of learned that just over time. Anyway, okay, that was interesting. That was awesome, Dave. Thanks for talking with us. Maybe we'll, oh, yeah. we'll talk again. You seem to have uh, ongoing stuff. Keep us updated. Oh yeah, I will. Yeah, when when I, when I start getting back out, I'm sure I'll have something to report. I don't know what's going to go on, but I'll definitely keep you up to date with any new and interesting things that go on. <laughs> all right, well, great. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you again. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, Tim. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts. Music, books, art, podcasts, and more. DarkHollerArts.com Intro and background music by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.